Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about the subject of suffering, and I was speaking about the subject from a bit of a general point of view, and my conclusions had to do with the fact that because of the situation that we have in this world, the situation in the sense that people have the ability to choose if they want to do good or do evil, because of that, we have an opportunity to really know our God. And in this program, I would like to get into some specifics. I would like to get into a specific example to really try to deal with this subject in a more practical way instead of in a general way. Often I have to deal with subjects in a very general way just because the message that I want to present contradicts too much of what people believe. And so I normally have to ease them into some issues in advance in order to prepare them for what I am about to tell them. Now, when I refer to doing good or doing evil, what I mean by that is not the idea of repentance and obedience. When it comes to evil, there are many opportunities for people to exercise evil. I certainly don't feel that I have to get into examples concerning that. But when it comes to doing good, I don't really mean doing good works or doing things that perhaps might please God. That's not what I'm referring to. What I really mean by doing that which is good is believing your God and trusting your God. Believing him when he shares something with you, when he reveals something to you, and trusting him. And what I mean by trust is that there are things that you are not going to know. There are things that you are never going to understand. And in time, I believe that your God will reveal some things to you so that you will understand. In the meantime, you're going to have to trust, first of all, that there will be some things that he will reveal to you. And you're going to have to trust that there are some things that he just simply won't, and you're going to have to trust and rely on him anyway. And the best way to deal with that is to consider, is there any evidence to show that he is truly trustworthy? Is there any evidence to show that it's worth the effort, that it's worth putting yourself in that kind of a position where you would actually rely on him? When you consider it from that point of view, you know, when we first start out in our faith, these things can be very difficult. But as you mature and you discover that he does reveal things to you over time, then it's much easier to trust him, knowing that if there is something he wants you to know, he will reveal it to you, and that you can trust that he will make good decisions concerning when he will reveal something about himself to you and when he will not. That's what I mean by doing good. I mean trusting in him and relying on him. And when I refer to doing evil, what I was referring to was just the general acts of sin that people commit. Now, in this program, I'd like to deal with a specific, and the specific example that I'm going to choose is the example of forgiveness, just because I believe it's probably the easiest one for somebody to grasp. But there are many others, of course. In fact, I believe that there is no limit concerning the depths of what our God can reveal to us. But I'm going to pick on this one just because I do believe that it is an easier one for the majority of people to be able to embrace. Now, when it comes to forgiveness... 
You can appreciate forgiveness. You can definitely understand and appreciate it when you recognize that you have a need for forgiveness. When you realize that you have a need for the forgiveness of God, that you have sinned, that you have committed evil, and that you are guilty to the extent where the punishment should be death, that that is the nature of the evil that you have perpetrated on the world, on people around you, That is how you have offended your God, and you realize that you have a need for forgiveness. When you have a need for forgiveness, then you can truly appreciate and embrace the forgiveness that he has offered to you already. When he died for your sins on the cross, that was his act of forgiveness for the sins of the world, but of course, that is not going to be of much value to an individual until they recognize their true need for it. Now, when you understand your depravity and you understand his sufficiency, when you realize that you have a need for mercy and you realize that he has provided his mercy for you, then because he gave you the option, because he gave you the opportunity, he has provided you with the opportunity and the ability to choose to do evil through doing that. And of course, your choice in doing so for which you are responsible for. Through that, you can know the forgiveness of God. That will actually mean something to you in a relational way. That is normally the first place that people begin when it comes to the subject of a relationship with their God, that they have a relationship with an individual because they know that their God relates to them, relates to them in the context of his grace and mercy. Now, if a person has not fully embraced the forgiveness of sins, then they have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you have an understanding of the complete forgiveness of sins that he has provided, then I believe that you can consider what I am saying. And in this context, it was necessary for him to give you the ability to choose to do that which is good or that which is evil, so that you could get a little bit of evil in your life, so that you could then choose to believe, choose to believe and trust that he has already forgiven you. That is a choice that you make just as much as it was a choice for you to do that which was evil to begin with. So you also have the choice to do that which is good, which is to believe and to trust in what he has said, in what he has done. That is a beginning. That is a place to actually start in a relationship with your God, to know that he relates to you in that way. And one of the ways that he confirms that this is the case is when you read in the scriptures, just as an example, you read through the scriptures, and then he illuminates something to you. He shows something to you, something that you never saw before. He shows it to you in such a way that you know it must have been the living God who took a moment to speak to you in the quietness of your being to reveal something to you. That is an expression of his forgiveness, of his mercy, because he would certainly not do that unless he was first gracious and merciful. And through his grace and mercy, he can then reside within you. That is the restoration of the Holy Spirit, as was defined by the gospel. When he resides within you, he is confirming his residency within you by speaking to you as you are living your life. That is one way that he confirms to you that you have an interactive relationship with him. When you are seeking him, he speaks to you. When you ask him a question, sometimes he answers you. That's what I mean by a relationship that is interactive 
And this also is a demonstration of him participating in your life, that while you are living it, he is there with you, and at certain moments he participates. Now, there is no way to believe in a God like this if you don't believe that he gives you the ability to choose what you are going to do or believe in your life. There's no way to really embrace that. If you believe something like you can only believe in him if he allows you to do so, well, he allows everyone to do so, and the vast majority of people just decide they don't want to. But that is what gives value to those who do decide that they want to. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. In most cases, people believe in a rock. They believe in a stone, or at least their God is the equivalent of a rock, the equivalent of a stone, who does not really interact with you in that way. Let me give you an example. There are some people who believe that everything that he has to say to humanity is recorded in the scriptures, and so we don't need to hear his voice. We don't need to hear from him. All we need to do is have a Bible, and with that, we will be complete. I just don't believe that. I believe that he interacts with us and that the Bible is the testimony that he is. It is the testimony that he exists. It is a record of things that he has said in the past, but we are not to put our trust and our reliance on the Bible. We are to put our trust and our reliance on the person who is testified of in the Bible. The Lord Jesus himself put it this way, that you search the scriptures thinking that by them you have life, and yet you refuse to come to me so that you may have life. It is him that we are to pursue, not the Bible, because it is through him that we can experience an interactive relationship that I am describing. Now, there is more to this in the context of suffering, and that is that people are going to violate you in similar ways that you violated God. Obviously not in the same ways, but in similar ways, you will feel as though people have violated you. And there is an opportunity through this to provide them with forgiveness. There is a true opportunity to provide them with forgiveness. But where are you going to get this forgiveness from? How are you going to have any concept of forgiveness? The only way that you can truly know forgiveness is by knowing the forgiveness that your God has for you. Now, that's all I can say about this subject in this program for the sake of time. I did do a teaching that took about six hours in order to explain this in detail so that you can understand the depths of what I'm referring to. And so I would like to encourage you to listen to the programs I did on the subject of forgiveness, especially the last one. But don't start with the last one. You've got to listen to all of them and then get to the last one because there is a common thread. And I do build up on instruction from one step to another step to get you to the point of being able to forgive others as you have been forgiven. But, of course, you need to understand how you have been forgiven first before you can forgive others with a forgiveness that you have truly received. So in this program, all I'm going to say is, is that it is very difficult for you to experience forgiveness in your own heart towards others until you have someone who has the ability to decide if they want to violate you. Now, I'm not saying this to encourage you to go find some more people in your life to hurt you. I think you can probably notice that there are people who have already done that. You don't need to add to that. What I am saying, though, in this context is that there is value in God giving people the opportunity to decide to do evil, because if they do, then you can experience the forgiveness of God in this additional way. And that is to experience his forgiveness as it is manifested within and through you towards others. 
That is something that you would never be able to encounter or experience without him giving free will to humanity. There is no way that you could truly encounter the real nature of this without that. Now, I understand that there are a lot of people who do not believe what I am saying about people having free will or the ability to choose. And I have found that certainly those people have no concept of what it means to forgive others as God has forgiven them. I recognize that, and I'm not going to attempt to try to explain to them what it means to forgive others, because I know that they have no capacity to possibly understand what that is, because they still haven't gotten past the notion of truly resting in the forgiveness that God has for them. They can't appreciate that, because they believe that the reason why they sinned is because God caused them to do so. And so they are not really fully responsible for their sin. The Lord has not given them the authority to believe and trust in him. Instead, in some contexts, he didn't do that fully, so they were left in a situation where they ended up sinning. When a person believes stuff like this, I don't see any possible way that they can truly embrace the forgiveness of God in the way that I am describing it. In other ways, fine. But I'm talking about something very specific, and that is that the manifestation of forgiveness in an individual's life means a lot more when it is manifested to someone who has violated them. Because to me, when that happens, there is a completion. There is a fulfillment of forgiveness. There is a completion to the extent where an individual can truly know the depths of the heart of God in a deeper way as they understand how he forgives them. They feel his forgiveness for them as they feel their forgiveness for someone else. There is an opportunity to feel the depths of their God's heart. Our God is a God of deep emotions. Now, there are many people who would hear that and say that that was utter, total blasphemy. In fact, I have never encountered a theologian in Christianity who would not say that to suggest that God has emotions is not blasphemy. They all believe that that's blasphemy because it's totally unacceptable in the higher echelons of Christian theology. But I believe it. I really do. I believe that when Jesus wept, as an example, he didn't do so just as an actor. He didn't do so just to put on a show. He really felt pain for Lazarus and for his sisters and for the people who were suffering. He really felt that. And when God got angry, he really felt that. When he was grieved to the extent where he caused the flood that destroyed humanity with the exception of Noah and his sons, that he was truly grieved. When we see passages such as, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, that that means that he can experience the emotion of being grieved. He can also experience the emotion of joy and love. Those are emotions, those are descriptions of emotions that our God has in deep ways. I believe that he is so sensitive that there are things that he will trust people with about himself and there are things that he will not entrust to some people. I believe that. For example, in John chapter 2, the Gospel of John chapter 2, it is written that when he was in Jerusalem, there were many people who believed in him, but he would not entrust himself to them. He trusted some things, obviously, the miracles that he had performed, but not all things. Because as much as he wants people to know him, he will not show them the depths of his entire being because he's going to feel pain 
when people reject him, when people ridicule him, when people look at him and they don't really believe and trust in him, they don't really want to see the depths of his heart. I personally believe that he restrains himself in some ways towards some of his people just because he is a being with deep feelings, with deep sensitivities. Imagine Adam and Eve in the garden. He gave them the authority to take care of the garden. He gave them the responsibility to take care of the garden. To have responsibility, you must have the necessary authority to perform that responsibility. Otherwise, you're going to experience failure. And he could have come to the garden at some point, and he perhaps he may have seen Adam and Eve take out the hatchet and just cut everything down to the ground. He gave them the freedom to do that. I don't know if he gave them the tool to do that. We don't have that much information. But my point is, is that he trusted them with something. He gave them boundaries to function within, to operate within. He said, these are your boundaries. This is where I establish my sovereignty as God. And within that context, I'm going to give you some freedom to make some decisions on your own, to do whatever you would like. Now, he gave them the entire garden with all of the trees and all of the fruit in it. And he told them, look, you can have anything you want except for this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you to, you know, I don't want you to have any of that. Leave that for me. Now, try to imagine what it would be like if you had, for example, a cake in your refrigerator. You had a cake in your refrigerator and you took out one small piece from that cake and you put it on a plate and you covered it and maybe you tied a bow around it or something and you put it back in the back corner of your refrigerator And you told everyone who had access to the refrigerator that you just wanted to have that one piece of cake that was in the back there, but that they could have the rest of the cake. They could eat it all. They could eat it all in a matter of minutes. They could just enjoy it. And you wanted them to do so, to definitely do that. But just leave that one piece. Now, how would you feel if you returned 20 minutes later and you discovered that somebody not only consumed or that a set of people consumed the entire cake, but they took your little piece as well? How would you feel about that? I mean, would you experience a sense of pain, a sense of loss? Would you feel as though you were perhaps victimized in some way? I personally believe that the living God sensed something similar to that when he said, you can eat of any tree you want here, but this one. Don't eat from this one. And through that, yes, I believe he experienced some disappointment. I really do. I really believe that that's the case. How about... When he entered into Jerusalem at the end of his ministry and people were so excited to see him there, we call that Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And people were excited. They were singing. They were climbing the trees. They were taking their clothes off and throwing them on the ground for his donkey to walk over. There was a big festivity taking place with the announcement of the coming of the Messiah. But then a few days later, they take him back out of the city and they crucify him. Now, he knew that was what was going to happen. And so how would he have seen the people who were cheering him when he was approaching Jerusalem? To what degree would he have really felt the depths of their praise, the depths of their excitement? What would he have really felt about that? I want you to consider these things so that you can consider that your God actually has feelings, some sensitivities, and that this is okay There are many people who are terrified of this. You know, the pagan Greeks were terrified of this. There were many discussions in pagan Greek philosophy about this, and probably the biggest concern that people had was that if he had emotions and if he emotionally responded 
to the individuals who he created, then that would be unacceptable because we could terrorize him. We could actually do evil things knowing that he would feel bad about it. And so we would have some sense of control over God. We could perhaps demand things of him, telling him, look, give me one of your cows or I'm going to commit this sin and really make you feel bad. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to make you feel depressed. That was one of their arguments. That was one of their arguments for why God cannot have emotions. And that's the exact same argument that most of the theologians in Christianity today are using in order to support their points of view. I personally believe it's just pagan Greek philosophy that's been repackaged and relabeled as Christianity. But that's where this comes from. And from a rational point of view, it makes perfect sense. But from a relational point of view, it does not. We have a God who wants to have a relationship with us, who wants to know him and the depths of his heart. In Proverbs, it is written that the spirit of man is the lamp of God so that we might see the inner depths of his heart. And when we see the inner depths of his heart, we see something. There is something there. And I believe that something has to do with a depth of feelings and of sensitivity and of being and of caring and of forgiveness and love and of acceptance and of grief and anger and jealousy and things like that. That, yes, we have a God who we can relate to and that he wants us to relate to him. But if we will not believe him, then what's he going to share about himself? What do we expect him to tell us when we don't believe the fundamental things that he's clearly revealed openly? What else do you expect him to tell you? What else do you expect him to entrust to you? Why would he? To make himself feel bad? Is that why he would do that? Because you would perhaps reject those things too? Because it would be necessary for you to understand other things such as forgiveness and grace and mercy and being set free from the law? Things like that before you could embrace some of these other things? This is a reality of life and I'm being very direct about this because I want you to know that he does want to have a relationship with you. And the suffering that we have in the world was necessary. It was necessary for him to provide the infrastructure that we now have at our disposal that he uses so that he can reveal himself. When he was here personally ministering as the Lord Jesus, he experienced a lot of ridicule. He experienced a lot of verbal abuse. He experienced a lot of rejection. He walked, he talked, And people refused to believe in him. He gave evidence after evidence, miracle after miracle. And people still refused to trust in him. They murdered him. They abused him severely. And you think he didn't have any feelings about that? He did. He knows what it is to suffer in this world. When you cry out to him and say, Lord, I feel pain. He doesn't say, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just some rock. I'm just some stone with no emotions at all. No, he says, I feel your pain. I feel it. Yes, this is terrible. Yes, this is horrible. I believe that we can do something with this over time. But yes, he knows what you feel. He has been there. He has done that. He knows what it is to live in this life. He lived a life from the womb to the tomb. And he resurrected from the dead. And he's still living. And you're going to go from the womb to the tomb. And then he's going to resurrect you as well. There is more going on here than just you and your problems. There is him and him wanting to show himself to you in a deep way. Him wanting to have a relationship with you. And unfortunately, for him to truly reveal the depths of who he is, in many cases it is necessary for there to be people in our lives 
who can freely choose to commit sins, to violate us and to cause suffering in the world. Unfortunately, that is necessary in order to fully embrace all that the Lord wants to reveal to us. It is a price. It is a cost. It's not God's fault. It's their fault. He gave them the freedom to do so in that sense. Yes, okay, I understand. He gave them the freedom to do that, certainly. But they are still responsible for their own decisions. Place responsibility where it belongs. It does not belong with him. It belongs with them, and it belongs with you. Do not be a coward. Do not be a coward and suggest that God made you do it or God caused you to do it or God just hasn't given you the right amount of faith yet or something like that. No, when you sin, you're responsible for it. That was your choice, your decision. And in the midst of that, your God is working and he will show himself to you. Yes, there was great risk in giving man free will. And it is unfortunate that for the most part, our God will not interfere with the will of man, with some exceptions. I know he does that. He has done that, and I expect him to do that in the future. What criteria he uses in order to do that, I do not know, and I honestly don't care because I believe he is trustworthy concerning those decisions. But he will not interfere with the will of man. He will work in the midst of the will of everyone. He will work in the midst of that. And the result of that will definitely be in the end. In the end, the only ones who will survive the only ones who will make it through, the only ones who will enter into his kingdom will be those who really want to. Why? Because they want to know him. Why? Because they know how valuable he is. They know what he means to them because they know their need for him. They know their condition. They know their depravity. And they know how powerful His feelings, his sensitivities, his love truly is. And they really want to spend eternity being at rest with him and growing to know him more. And those who do not won't make it. But in the end, there will be some who will. And so the price is well worth it when in the end you get a people like that. To me, that is the purpose that he has here. To me, that is the reason for him allowing suffering and sin in the world. That is what he is accomplishing. And if you want to know him in that way, be thankful, be very thankful that he has allowed you the privilege of being able to be alive, even in the midst of this terrible world that you are in. Be thankful for it, because without it, you would have no opportunity like this at all. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,